This is Hardwick. With less than 3,000 people, this small town was built on hard work and a strong sense of community. And it is now the epicenter of a potential rebirth of thoroughbred horse racing and the rise of sports betting in Massachusetts. This podcast is here to pose questions, offer perspectives, and share information about the proposed racetrack as a way to encourage those within the community and its surrounding communities to do their due diligence and truly consider what this could mean for the town and the surrounding towns. It's here to urge you to look below the surface, beyond the immediate impact, and consider the full picture as Hardwick prepares for a special vote that will determine whether the location for the racetrack will be approved. Welcome back. This episode features Lauren Wojcik, a Hardwick resident and pre-vet student at UMass Amherst, who has been immersed in the horse world since the age of five. Lauren discusses that inevitability of horse injuries and deaths, raises concerns regarding the breeding facility in the same location as the racetrack, points out some key logistical questions that aren't being discussed. She discusses the darker side of horse racing culture that will come with opening our doors to this racetrack. And most importantly, she urges everyone, no matter how old you are, no matter where you are in life, no matter what generation you're in, to really do your due diligence and understand what it is you're voting for. Thank you for joining me, Lauren. Can you share a little bit about you and about your connection to the town of Hardwick? Yeah, so I currently am a junior at UMass Amherst. I'm a pre-veterinary student, um, but I grew up in Hardwick. I've lived there my whole life in the same house. Um, I kind of grew up, you know, with the whole community. We had boo bashes, and uh, my mom likes to tell the story about how we went to New York City when I was little, and I heard a fire truck. Um, when we were in our hotel and I kind of ran to the window and I started yelling Santa Santa because growing up in Hardwick the only sound I knew was the fire truck but when Santa came on it to throw me candy Um, and kind of just seeing my dad growing up knowing everyone in town um, the atmosphere of the town everyone's friends everywhere I go with him he's talking to everyone made me look up to him in a way and you know when all my friends from school come to visit they're amazed at how pretty it is and how little people there is and how little stuff going on and honestly I'm proud of that I'm proud to have grown up in Hardwick because it's just a a great place to grow up I wouldn't have wanted to grow up anywhere else and the friends that I made and grew up with I I am still in touch with and it's just great to feel supported by the community. I've worked several different places in town and just knowing everyone that comes in and having conversations, it's just, it's a nice place to be. Yeah, I I completely agree. I mean, I chose to raise my kids here for that exact reason. I think anybody that grows up here, it's kind of like this, it's not perfect, but it's a nice, it's got the community that's supportive. You get to know people, it's close knit you even when you're 15 minutes away from your friends that you want to go play with it it, you still feel like your neighbors right yeah yeah 
Yeah. Now I know that um, your background includes a lot of time with horses. Um, I believe you showed, I'm not sure if you still do, but could you tell us a little bit about your background with horses? Yeah. So I've basically grown up around horses. Um, I started riding when I was five um, and I still ride now. I have a horse uh, he was the first horse that I actually bought, but I've leased horses. And I started showing also when I was five in lead line, and I still show today. Uh, obviously not in lead line, but I'd say that growing up around horses and being that, in that community, it's more of a lifestyle than kind of a hobby. Um, I go to the barn every day. I'm constantly around horses. I'm constantly watching videos of horses, learning different stuff so it's a whole community atmosphere and you know there's a lot of different I would say subsections to the horse world we'll call it and mine is very different from some others in say the racing world but they do intersect in some different ways and so I have perspective kind of on horses as a whole and also uh, their well-being and stuff being a pre-vet major so I, it's not per se my expertise. It's not what I do. I don't race horses, but um, I do know quite a bit on the topic. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's ultimately why we're here to talk because at a high level, the proposal that's um, before us from Commonwealth Equine and Agricultural Center, um, which is owned by Commonwealth Racing and New England Horse Park, um, the proposal itself is to build what they're calling a equine and agricultural center and a thoroughbred racetrack, right? So basically what they're proposing kind of touches on that, that world in a couple of different ways, right? Because it touches on the equine and agricultural center, which is the world that you've, you've kind of grown up living in. And then it touches on the thoroughbred racetrack, the, the racing, um, and I'd love to hear what your thoughts of, of, about this proposal and what this proposal could really look like for Hardwick. Um, I have a lot of thoughts about this proposal. Um, I would say, I know that other people on your podcast kind of shared their, their stance on the matter. I would say that I'm definitely against this proposal, but it's for a lot of reasons, in regards to Hardwick and a racetrack, I don't think that these are two things that can kind of live in harmony like they make it seem. Um, it's not just going to be, you know, the couple of race days a year or whatever they want to do, and the rest of Hardwick will be untouched. I think that points that were talked about in your previous podcast were very correct in saying that it's kind of diminish our town and the community and the fabric of the whole thing. And there's not going to be a small town atmosphere anymore with all of these people coming in. It's not going to be, you know, kids from Hardwick running out to Angela driveway when Santa is coming by on the fire truck. It's not going to be that kind of same vibe, I would say, anymore, because in my mind, this is going to change Hardwick 
and I don't think that we could ever change it back and that makes me really sad because I do have such fond memories of growing up here yeah I think the safety and security um, of our town is going to change and the very fabric of our town would change for sure I think you nailed it on the head with that now as far as someone who cares about horses and is involved in the horse world so is immersed in the horse world really I mean you've been doing it since you were five Um, and on top of that you're working toward becoming a vet you obviously have a love of animals I would love to hear a little bit about your thoughts about racing as a whole and this proposal as a whole with that in mind yeah so a lot of people in the horse world have different opinions about horse racing and different points of view, but I have never really been a fan of it in general. You know, they start racing these horses when they're really young and their bones and their joints aren't fully developed. And so most of the time, these horses are really prone to injury, no matter how well-bred they are. Also, there's a lot of injuries on the racetrack there's a lot of you know even a shoe can come flying off the horse in front of another one and hit it in the head and horses have died that way Uh, and I was reading an article when I was doing research kind of on this topic recently and uh, it said in 2021 366 horses died from fatal injuries on the racetrack and over 600 horses died due to injuries relating to horse racing yeah Yeah, I think that's interesting because I know enough about horses. We grew up with horses. If there are certain injuries that horses get that they, it's the same with any big animal, right? Certain injuries, if they get injured, they're not going to be able to continue living a full and thriving life. Um, And I mean, it could be quote unquote, as simple as breaking a leg, right? Like, like if it's severe enough, um, So it's not just on the racetrack. If they get injured, it could happen after the race. Right. That kind of leads me into the next thing that I was going to talk about. Um, But also with you saying, you know, breaking a leg and horses as big and beautiful as they are, very fragile. 99% of the time, if a horse breaks its leg, then it has to be put down. Horses are not an animal that can live you know, with three legs like a dog or a cat can and not care. Um, And so they do get hurt a lot because they're so fragile. And so a lot of what will happen in the race world is that then drugs will be used to mask their injuries, Mm. uh, to keep them racing because these are very expensive horses. And at the end of the day, they're making the people who own them money. So they want them to keep racing. I don't want to say everyone, but a lot of people put the money aspect over the physical well-being of the horse and so it's just not a good place for the horse to be in and I feel like when people think of different stuff like dog racing or dog fighting or kind of doing things with animals to make people money no one has a good connotation of that and so in my mind it's kind of like we're doing this to these horses and they're ending up hurt and even dead some of the time just to make money and to have people come and drink and sports bet and it just doesn't it doesn't sit well with me yeah yeah I think the idea of 
again, so much of this is based on the money making. Um, and you know, some people will hear this and, and it may not strike a chord, right? Some people and they're animals, right? But the reality is they are animals and they deserve to live and be healthy and have a full life. And the entire sport of racing, I mean, they breed them to be fast, right? I, I, I know I was reading an article at one point in time that about how they breed them and they breed them in ways where their bones are actually, their leg bones are actually even more fragile because they're bred to be fast. So right. they're, so it's like they're made specifically for this purpose, but at the same time, they're being pushed in ways that are often beyond what their bodies can handle. Yes. And you know, they're not fully developed and horses are just so fragile. Like my horse, for instance, this fall didn't tear or do anything, but kind of bumped his tendon in the wrong way. And it's been four months of rehabbing him to get him back to normal. They're just so fragile. Yeah. And, and they can, they need to be fully functioning um, in order to live fully. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's important to think about where, where, what the intent of this racing is. And really it, it's about the money, you know, and, and how can this something that's going to, in reality, sacrifice horses. <laughs> I mean, at some point in time, there is going to be one that gets injured on this racetrack. At some point in time, there will be one that dies. That right. that's the reality of the racing industry. Um, and how does that align with our values as a town? I do want to point out that in kind of their their FAQ on their website, Great Meadowbrook's website, um, it does state that they will have an anti-doping and anti-slaughter facility. But that's kind of all they say about that. And to me, that's very vague and from experience all the horse shows that I go to they're rated kind of meaning they're overlooked by bigger organizations because they're large horse shows um there's rules that you can't drug your horse you can't use anything to kind of enhance its performance but these rules aren't followed most of the time I've seen so many people say oh I have to go bridle my horse in a stall because he's he's just not good he needs to be in his stall and they go into the stall and they drug their horse before they go into the ring because the reality of it is is that they can't drug test every single horse it takes too much time it's too much money and so from my understanding of doing research it's the same way as the horse shows that I go to where they'll randomly select a few horses out of the bunch that are there on any given day and drug test them and then say as a whole oh no one's drugged yeah because they tested a few horses and so I think that them saying they have an anti-drugging facility also who's accounting them for that yeah you yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. who's going to go test all of their horses and see if they're drugging them? And and how are we as a community going to know it's actually being followed 
up again this goes to you know us as a community our infrastructure how's our community going to hold them accountable for all of the things that they are quote unquote promising us and what regulations are in place to actually make sure they uphold it uh and uh, the question one of the questions that comes to mind about the anti-slaughter right is how can how can they say they're anti-slaughter when there can still be there can still be deaths that occur you know just because they say they're anti-slaughter doesn't mean that there won't be fatal injuries right right i also think that slaughter is a big <clears throat> reason also and um it kind of ties in with them also being a breeding facility but i'll go back to that in a second another thing that rubs me the wrong way about horse racing is once these horses are too injured to race they're sent to auction and um horse slaughtering has been illegal in massachusetts for many many years there's no slaughterhouses here but there's auctions um and people who go to auctions specifically to buy horses to load them on big trucks and ship them to either Mexico or Canada and bring them to slaughter because they make money off of it. So if their horse gets hurt or if their horse can't race anymore, it's not viable for them to keep all of their horses and retire them like they say they're going to do. That is not a thing that ever happens. And so they can say, oh, we're not sending our horses off to slaughter. We're sending them to auction or whatever but most of the time these horses are going to end up in slaughter and a point that I was talking to my mom about earlier is that it's the same thing as dogs and cats where there's so many horses so many horses needs need homes or at auctions like we don't need to be breeding and breeding and breeding just for them to end up in slaughter because 90% of the time that's where racehorses go or they're lucky and I have so many friends who go to auctions just to buy, just to buy them. Brands. well even that like so even if they have an anti-slaughter and by they I mean Commonwealth Equines and Agricultural Center right there are still people that are coming here to race that will be bringing their horses right who may not be following that anti-slaughter quote unquote so it's like by us having it in our town, we're also perpetuating those outside who are coming in potentially having their horses reach a point where they're shipping them off to these auctions. And and like you said, you know, they all they have to do is have them go to the auction and they're sent up to Canada, they're sent to Mexico, they're sent to these places where they are slaughtered. Um, right. And it's it's how it's done. It's how it's been done for a long time. Now, as somebody who has attended a, a lot of horse shows and a lot of events, one of the things that I have thought about a lot and that I'm curious in your experience about is um, they are talking about the festival days, right? Um, they talk often about the amount of traffic in the context only of the three to 5,000 expected attendees, right? So we hear a ton about all these attendees coming in. But I often think of the non-attendees, right? Like, like the people participating in the races, the horses themselves. And I keep coming back to this idea, like, how are they, where are they going to stay? When are they going to come? Um, it's got to be a big group of people. And there's no clarity about what exactly is intended for that 
that specific group of people. And I remember the over the walls events, um, the tra- the trailers and the trucks all coming up and down my road. Like I remember this and it being absolutely nuts for days leading up to those events. So I'm curious, what, what, what do you typically see when you go to these shows? Like how do people, where do people stay? <laughs> right. So usually, um, when I am going to these big shows, we go a couple days before I actually have to show um, to get my horse settled, to get us settled, to be able to, you know, ride around before I have to show. And most of the time we'll stay in hotels. Sometimes we'll bring a camper and RV, which I know they're talking about having an RV park, which is a whole nother issue in my mind. But we usually are staying in what they call tent stalls so it basically is like a big tent with temporary stalls put up and I know you were talking about that's what they were saying they were going to do but that takes up a lot of space yeah but not only that there's a huge biosecurity issue with having this breeding facility and having outside horses come in. You know, when I go to horse shows, there's required paperwork and vaccines that I have to bring to prove my horse is up to date and he's not festering anything. But even so, there's so many outbreaks of so many different things at these horse shows because you just can't be sure about every horse and their, their health status. And things spread so easily when everyone's in such close proximity and through the manure and even you know the manure and then it rains and then the runoff and I was thinking about the horse track you know kind of being on the highest point and the runoff from all these horses you can't have you know really young horses and broodmares exposed to all of these outside things it's just, it's not going to work. They're going to get sick. They're going to contract things that these horses are bringing in. Um, and I know that they talk a lot about, you know, it only being a couple day thing with a couple days of setup and takedown. But I would imagine that the horses aren't going to show up there on race day and then yeah. immediately racing. Yeah, I was, I, I forget, I think it was with Hallie Stillman that I said that. I, I mean, even when I go to cow show, when I grew up, I went to cow shows and the really big shows, usually you would get there like the night before and get the cows bedded, settled in, right? And I would assume that the, especially if they're racing, if they showed up the day of, I would assume that they would be kind of on edge and not exactly ready to race. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I, that's kind of the, the quota and the, every horse event that I've been to that you kind of give your horse a day, if not two or three to settle in before you expect them to do something like that. Yeah. Which means that the setup and the, the setup of the thing would have to happen even further in advance than the the day before so here we are okay it's a two-day event the setup would actually have to be done at least probably two days beforehand if not a full day 
um, in order to allow people to come and get set up and settled in and, and get situated. Right. And I think, I think what you said about the facility itself and even the location of where they're considering having the, the quote unquote breeding facility. Uh, and I, I had spoken to Robin Prouty about this in, in one of the earlier episodes. And she is the one that brought this to mind about uh, the questionability of having a breeding facility in, in the same location as they're, they're having these races. And, and even if, like you said, even if it's in a slightly different part of the location, right, where they're putting this racetrack is at the highest point of the, of the land. Um, and that idea of runoff, that idea of, of bringing in any potential diseases, um, you can't exactly mitigate that in, if there's, like you said, if there's rain, it would be a really hard thing to completely avoid some kind of contamination. I would think. It's almost inevitable to me. Um, even like, you know, grazing horses on the same grass. Yeah. And, and I think, I think that just brings to mind again, how much of it is the real, the truth about what, where the priorities lie, you know, in order to have this on the APR land, they have to have an agricultural facility. Um, And the thoroughbred breeding is what they're claiming to be part of that agricultural part of their facility. And with that would come, you know, having to have the healthy brood mares, having to have healthy, them healthy all the time. Um, I'm, I'm assuming their facility would have to be built in a way that it can, they can raise them. And I know you had mentioned, so even the racetrack itself. So if they're raising thoroughbreds, you would think that they would have to train them in some way, shape or form. And they're, they're creating this racetrack to be used for the festival days and the simulcast days. Uh, Where are they going to be training these? Right. That doesn't really make sense to to me either. Most of the time, from my understanding, if not all of the time, when horses are training for races, they're not training on the track that races are held on. That's a lot of wear and tear to the track as well as, um, you know, when I'm training to go to horse shows, I'm not driving to the horse show to train in the same ring that I'm going to be showing in. It just like a training track and a racing track through the research I've been doing, it seems like they're very separate things. So yeah. are they also going to build a training track? Yeah. And if so, where is this training track going to go? And right. the training track, from my understanding, if they really are breeding thoroughbred horses, if they're really breeding and raising them, um, and they were to have a training track that actually could potentially fall under the APR restrictions because it's part of the breeding, right? And the breeding again is considered agriculture, but without that, it's, it's a commercial endeavor. I mean, this racetrack is a commercial endeavor through and through I, it's about the I, money. And yeah, when you're talking about priorities, people like this, it seems to me, it's very 
obvious and I'm not sure why you know kind of everyone can't see it but they care about the money they're not they don't really care about the horses and the welfare of the horses and you know they're just adding to the problem that's already there and has been there and people have been trying to fight for a long time yeah I'm curious. I know you've you've looked into this a lot. Um, I'm curious if if you have any insight about the actual the the people who are actually involved in in racing, um, the jockeys, et cetera, and how how that culture would fit in um, here in Hardwick. Right. Um, so I think kind of in the horse world, it's almost a known thing jockeys and drugs have a long history um partially not to their own fault but I think it's just even at the horse shows that I go to with the the big barns and the wealthy people they're up all night drinking smoking and then they're getting up to horse show the next morning it's kind of just you know, a part of the culture that's not necessarily the best, but especially jockeys are under so much stress from, because obviously the jockeys are hired by the people who own the horses to race them and the people who own the horses want the horses to win. And it's, a they're betting money on it. Like they're winning money off of it. So it's a huge kind of responsibility for the jockeys. And also jockeys are along with the horses, have a high mortality rate, much higher than most sports, because it is a dangerous sport. If a horse falls down, goes down, there's a large possibility that the jockey's going to die because horses are just so big. It's Mm. kind of inevitable for that to happen. Um, And, you know, even when the jockeys do a good job and the horses win, it's all about the horse. Though it's this horse oh yeah, and ridden by this person, but they're not really getting any of this credit. So it takes a large toll on their mental health when they're putting so much into this and risking their life. And even when they do well, it's it's about the horse yeah. and the minds of everyone else. So um, I was doing some research. Jockeys have to get drug tested before they race for the safety of the horses um as a whole I'm not sure about you know Massachusetts specific law and all of that stuff but 61% of these jockeys that were tested in 2021 were over the threshold of what's considered being an alcoholic and alcoholism um was very prevalent there also were things coming up like weed and cocaine and different things in their systems and this is kind of just a big known thing in the horse world and I I don't think it's gonna go over well when jockeys are wanting to stay up all night and party and the people of Hardwick are my dad's in his bed by 8 p.m ready to go to bed (laughs) or to go to the gym like and that's right in my backyard. Yeah. So yeah. I just think it's not cultures that's going to mix well. And there's nothing for them to do out here. Yeah. Like yeah. there's nowhere to, to go. And also I was talking with my mom about 
when I go to these big horse shows, I think I am legitimately the only person who takes care of their own horse and also rides their horse because people hire grooms. And I know that they were talking about, you know, obviously they're going to need grooms for this barn. And um, that's a whole nother culture of people. And it's going to have to be a lot of people. If they're saying 300 horse barn, I'd say at least 150 grooms, like one groom per two horses is already a lot. So that's a whole nother culture of people coming in. Yeah. And these are most likely going to be transient people that come in for the races because they have to they have to understand how to care for horses already. It's not like this is something that they're going to learn on the fly when yeah. there's a, you know, a really expensive horse at stake that's that's needs to be taken care of. These are these are people that are going to come in specifically for events. They are transient. Um, and I think this taps into uh, you know, there's, there's information out there about, about, um, you know, changes in crime levels and drug use around stuff like this. Um, and it's not to say that that's everybody, right? It's, it's not to say that it's everybody. It's not, but the reality is when you bring in people that aren't invested in the community, that aren't a part of the community, it, no matter what, it brings in a different dynamic. Yeah. Right. They're here for a short period of time. They're not going to be invested in the well-being of our community. How right. safe does that leave us? <laughs> it's completely different lifestyles and cultures. And even if it's just for a little bit, who's to say that they're not going to want to stick around? They're not going to want to keep driving out for these race days. They're not going to well, want to. And I think it, it goes to like, how many race days are there really going to be in the long run? Yeah. Okay. So in the next few years, we're going to only have a few each year. Right. Uh, but again, going back to the application um, that they put in front of the gaming, like it, it, that's while they're building up the infrastructure, that's while it's being built to become financially viable. Right. Once it reaches that point and ultimately it's mass gaming that calls the shots and how many days they're going to have. And it, going to your point of, you know, these people are coming, they're going to have to get here early with their horses. Right. So even if we get up to 10 days of of festival days, quote unquote festival days. OK, this is even not not simulcast days. These are the festival days. Even if we get up to 10 days eventually. Right. 10 days in a peer, over a peer, short period, because again, it's from May to October that they are running this. Over those 10 days, you're going to have to have the setup, the takedown. You're going to have to have a little bit of extra wiggle room before the days start in order to have people come in with their horses, get settled in, all of that kind of stuff. That 10 days very quickly expands to almost the entire summer full of the of people that are transient people that are coming specifically for these festivals for these races to town right. the entire dynamic of our town is going to change during the most beautiful months of the year the months where we want to be able to have our kids playing outside we want to be able to go up to the center of town and walk around the common you know that's that kind of stuff isn't going to be possible no i agree it's like i think about the summer, I walk 
you know, on Upper Church Street all the time or ride my four-wheeler on the road or whatever and just kind of like nobody gets to do that anymore like all of my friends when they come to visit me over the summer they're like this is crazy like you're just like doing all this stuff in your backyard just like doing all this stuff that's so normal to me and as I grew up and met more people and visited where they grew up I realized how lucky I was to be able to do all of these things and like even in the winter time me and my dad can go straight from our backyard on our snowmobiles to the snowmobile trails and it goes through upper church street and that's not going to be able to happen anymore if there's all this infrastructure so it's never gonna be the quiet little town of hardwick that 90 percent of the people that live here are living here for that reason yeah I mean, security systems, if you don't have a security system, you're going to need to invest in a security system. You don't lock your car doors. You're going to have to start locking your car doors. And these are all things that are like the norm here in Hardwick, right? Yeah. Like, and, and it's not to say that there won't be some random things, but this is, it's going to change drastically with all of this stuff, all of these people, all of this culture, that's this transient culture that sadly enough, does have roots in drugs, does have roots in increase in crime, right? And that's that's what's coming to town with this. Um, and then on top of that, again, going back to our values as a town, right? Like whether you love animals or not, whether you, whether the idea of a horse being sent to slaughter pulls at your heartstrings or not, the reality is that's what's going to happen with this coming to town, whether it's, it it may not be directly through this facility, but there will be people that are coming here that are going to be sending horses that have raced here to slaughter. Right. You may go to a race and six months later, that horse is no longer alive. That day you may witness a horse get injured, right? Is that something that you really want to experience? Um, I know for me, I don't think I could handle seeing that's another point that that has got me thinking about now is that they're kind of you know advertising this as a family thing like bring your kids and there's a lot of issues with that with the bedding and all that stuff but say a horse does get hurt say a horse drops dead on the racetrack is that something that you want your kids to see and it's going to like freak accidents with horses happen all the time I was at a horse show in high school um I rode on the IEA team at Mount Holyoke College and we were all watching someone you know jump around a course on one of our favorite school horses and she was turning a corner and all of a sudden we literally just heard her bone snap and she leg and they evacuated the barn and put her down on spot yeah. and took her like yeah and like even if even happened. if you're somebody who who's raised around that kind of stuff I mean my kids my kids have understand that animals don't live forever my kids watch all the vet shows they're completely fascinated by it at the same time the idea of them seeing a, a horse suffer in that way isn't something that I I want 
to expose them to. And it's something that I know doesn't need to happen. I think that's the big thing. It doesn't need to happen. I agree. And I think that, as I said, like freak accidents happen all the time, no matter what you're doing with horses. But it's almost like you're setting up these things to happen. It's inevitable in the racing world. It's going to happen. That's the reality. It is there. There is at some point in time, there's going to be a horse that gets mm-hmm. injured. There's going to be a horse that has to get put down. There most likely will be a point in time where a jockey gets injured. And the reality is it doesn't need to happen. This is, this is a choice Do do we want to set it up so that it, that those inevitable things are, are going to happen right here in our town. Right. It it's, doesn't need to happen unfortunately it will continue to happen but it does not need to happen in Hardwick that is not this whole thing just honestly blows my mind because none of it makes sense it's so vague it's just I it's not good for Hardwick as we know it no and I and I think there's a lot of there's a lot of things that don't make much sense um, is there anything else that you want to share, Lauren? I know we, I know we've covered a lot. Honestly, at the end of the day, um, I live out by school now, but you know, I go back to Hardwick all the time. Um, I'm coming back obviously to vote on the 7th and as I've been home for Christmas and kind of seeing my home friends and they've been hearing stuff about it from their parents every person in my generation in my like around my age who I've talked to just kind of is like oh yeah like thinking that it doesn't really involve them kind of like oh my parents are going crazy over this like I don't care kind of mentality and I think that's because most people are kind of trying to drown it out and not do their due diligence as you've been saying and do the research because they they don't want to deal with it but I think that everyone needs to whether you're gonna vote yes or no you need to know what you're voting for and it's not just people my parents age or my grandparents age it has to do with everyone that lives in the town and I feel so strongly about Hardwick and growing up there and being able to go home from college is one of the nicest things in the whole world when college is a lot and there's so many people out here at UMass being able to go home to my quiet town is the best thing I can do and people especially my age don't understand they're not going to be able to do that anymore and I think that I just hope that everyone knows what they're voting for and actually takes the time to do the research no matter what age you are it affects everyone and it will affect this town forever yeah I think I think that's a great point doesn't matter how old you are doesn't matter who you are if you live here if you've lived here in the past it'll change it forever. Um, and I know as somebody who 
when I was your age, wanted to get as far away from Hardwick as I possibly could, moved to the other side of the country, and slowly but surely creeped closer and closer and closer and closer until I built my house in this town. Even if you think that you're going to move away, even if you think that this isn't going to affect you in the future, you don't know what the future holds for yourself. You know, you don't know where you're going to ultimately want to raise a family, what you're going to ultimately want to do forever. And even just the, the, the idea of what you knew as a child, what you grew up with, the safety, the security, the ability to go for walks, to play outside, to have the space, to have the freedom, to feel secure in your community. Um, the next generations deserve the same. I, I agree completely. I think that everyone should get to grow up the way that I did, like walking everywhere. I never, never as a kid worried about anything happening ever to me when I was outside or when I was doing whatever, because it was hard, like it's hard way. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much for joining me, Lauren. I appreciate it. I appreciate your insight. Um, and thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. Additional information and links related to this episode can be found in the show notes. And just a reminder, if you haven't already, be sure to mark your calendars for January 7th, 2023 from noon to 7 p.m. This is when the special election for the proposed racetrack location at 228 Barry Road will be held. We hope you come informed, educated, and ready to make a conscious decision for the benefit of your entire community.